please. If you can keep your Bibles open to 1 John chapter 4 as we go through this text. Let's pray that God will speak to us. Lord, we thank you for the spirit that you've given us, and we thank you for um, the way in, we, uh, way in which he teaches us. Um, and we pray that even this morning that you'll shape our, you'll speak to us and you'll shape our, shape our minds uh, that we may be discerning and thinking Christians. Um, speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, Dr. Noel, Mark, Mark Noel of uh, then Wheaton College, now he's at uh, Notre Dame, uh, wrote a, in 1994, published a book called Scandal of the Evangelical Mind. And this is how he starts um, his book. The scandal of the evangelical mind is that there is not much of an evangelical mind. An extraordinary range of virtues is found among the sprawling throngs of evangelical Protestants in North America, including great sacrifice in spreading the message of salvation in Jesus Christ, open-hearted generosity to the needy, heroic personal exertion on behalf of troubled individuals, and the unheralded sustenance of countless church and parachurch communities. Notwithstanding all their other virtues, however, American evangelicals are not exemplary for their thinking, and they have not been so for several generations. It really is a scathing rebuke. Um, He says the scandal of evangelical mind is that there isn't much of an evangelical mind. We have been exemplary in our giving, in our action, in our evangelism, but he says not in our thinking. I think much has changed since 1994, since this book was published, um, but it's still a call, a scathing call that we must still have heed. The Apostle John, I think, would have said the same thing. He would not have been very happy with the state of evangelical church in America or actually around the world. Look how he starts um, our chapter in verse 1. He says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Do not believe every spirit, he says. Don't just take things in. Be a critical, don't be naive. Be a thinking Christian. Be critical of what you hear and what you take in. Of course, John is thinking about false teachers. In his days in Ephesus, perhaps um, Serinthus, who was a Gnostic heretic. And you probably might not think, well, you think maybe this isn't a problem for us. After all, we've had about 300 years, three, 400 years uh, 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 to, to um, sort this problem out. And maybe you think that we have trained our minds, we know uh, enough so that we can discern what is good and false teaching. But is that true? Have we really trained our minds to discern false teaching? I think in 1994, Dr. Noel would have said, That's probably not true. Another Christian intellectual, Oz Guinness, also published a book called Fit Bodies, Fat Minds, Why Evangelicals Don't Think and What to Do About It. He doesn't think that we think enough. Carl Truman wrote a a book in 2010 called The Real Scandal of Evangelical Mind. It wasn't a very original title. Maybe he should have thought a little bit more about that. But in which he argued that evangelicals uh, emphasize experience and activism, he says, at the expense of theology. We believe in the presence of God and we want to feel close to God and we think that that is important, that experience is important. We think going out into the world and changing the world is important. But 
He says, we haven't done enough thinking about our, our doctrines. The stuff of the mind engaging with the truth. Our minds, he says, went fuzzy as a result. It might be the sort of the overemphasis in experience and activism, as he says, but there are other reasons for this as well. I think we live in just a visual world that, was, that I think is detrimental to our thinking because we no longer want to engage the world with words, with thoughts, but we want to engage the world with pictures. We want to be entertained by them. Internet has made things worse as well. We can't seem to think more than for, for a few minutes. The sustained thinking and quiet time is a lot harder these days because of the Internet. I think another reason might be that we live in a culture of celebrity. We live in celebrity culture. Since there are so much information out there and so many authorities, we have, instead of testing all these ideas against the scripture on our own, we've just picked one or two people that we really like, and we just go with whatever they say. So the culture of even celebrity pastors, mega churches have developed. I mean, even people like John Stott, John Piper, Tim Keller, Rick Warren, and others, we do just sort of go with whatever they teach, don't we? And all the people that I've mentioned are great people. But the point is, just don't believe everything. Don't believe every spirit. Think for yourselves. Or else we'll put these great minds and great pastors in the same breath as people like Joel Austin or Benny Hinn. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirit to see whether they are from God. Test the spirit Don't be naive because many false prophets are out there in this world, he says. The Bible does give us a picture of what this looks like in Acts chapter 17, Bereans. So chapter 17, 10 and 11. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas uh, away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scripture every day to see if what Paul, Paul said was true. Paul was the celebrity pastor of that day. He performed miracles. He had authority. He had reputation. But when he preached to the Bereans, they received the message with great eagerness, but they also did another thing. They went home and they tested what Paul said against the scripture. They examined the scripture every day to see if what Paul said was true. They tested his words against the revealed word of God in the Old Testament. Do not believe every spirit. And this is why I say, let's open up the Bible as I preach. You should have the Bible in your hand and to test, to see if what I am saying, what I'm teaching is really from the scripture. Engage. And this call to engagement obviously comes with religious teachings. But it also is uh, for the secular beliefs, uh, secular teachings out there as well. In fact, don't be naive, naive in thinking that the world's beliefs and teachings aren't spiritual. Because every worldview has a spiritual dimension. It assumes something about the world. Uh, every book... Um, uh, movie, TV show, radio programs, magazine articles that you read assume things about us about, and about the world. It answers questions about whether human beings are essentially good or evil, whether we can, we can bring usher in the kingdom of God by ourselves, 
by our own effort, if there is room for justice and mercy. It tells us what our idols are and what it should be. So be critical when you read, watch movies, read newspapers, or do anything as you live in this world. Think about the world. Think about what you are taking in. Test every spirit to see if whether they are from God. I love, it, 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 this is one of the things that really first struck me when I first came to Hong Kong, and I've said, I think I've said this before, but it's one of my favorite examples. It's just the architecture of the city. Just think about the number of banks and ATMs in Hong Kong. I just, that's one of the first things that struck me about Hong Kong. Every corner, there's some ATM, or there, there's so many banks around. What does that say about Hong Kong? Think about the most impressive buildings in, in Hong Kong. Yeah, IFC, ICC, International Finance and Commerce Center. What does that say about what we value? Don't believe every spirit. Don't, don't just take in the things of this world. Test it. And if you're a teacher, I know there are many teachers in Shatin Church. If you're a teacher, help the students to learn to think in this world, to be critical, not just memorize information. If you're a Christian teacher, if you have the opportunity to teach your students, help them to think Christianly about the world. If you're parents, and many of you are, learn to think Christianly so that you may be able to teach your children. Don't be naive. Let's be thinking Christians. But there are many, many spirits out there clamoring for our attention. And some do claim to come from God, to have come from God. And when this happens, John does give us a few tests, a few ways we can test them. He writes in verse 2 and 3, This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard um, is coming and, and even now is already in this world. Once again, the Antichrist isn't sort of the replacement Christ um, here, somebody who pretends to be like Christ, but Antichrist here is a heretic who teaches teachings that are opposed to Christ, the false doctrine that oppose Christ. And he says, um, to test whether a belief, their teaching is true or not, to to, uh, our, our, it, it, teachings are for Christ or anti or against Christ. The first question that we should be asking, John says, is what do they say about Jesus? What do they teach about Jesus? It really is the most fundamental and basic questions, but it is one that is under attack every day. The basics, basis, uh, basic basis for Christianity is Christ. What we think of Christ, what I think of, a, of Christ, shapes what I think about the Bible. My, my trust in the Bible comes from my trust in Christ. By, what I think about Christ uh, shapes what I think about the church, about the Holy Spirit, about the world, and everything else. So John asks, think about what they teach about Jesus. And John is concerned about early form of Gnosticism, and carefully writes here that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. Jesus Christ come in the flesh. Jesus is Christ come in the flesh. And Serenthus taught that Jesus was a man of great character, um, more righteous and prudent and wise, but he was a man. But he taught that Christ 
This was a spiritual form. He came, uh, he descended down upon Jesus at the baptism and left before his suffering. That's what he taught, Serinthus taught. And John's writing against that. He wanted to make sure that the believers knew that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God. God became flesh once and for all. And this was very important because it has direct implications to whether we're saved, how we're saved. And this debate is not over 2,000 years later. Dan, Dan Brown's book, Da Vinci Code, um, sold 200 million copies, 200 million copies. It's a work of fiction, but it convinced so many people that Jesus was a human being, married to Mag- Mag- Magdalene, and that Catholic Church invented this whole thing. It is under attack. Just last year, Riza Aslan, Aslan published a book called Zealot, The Life and Times of Jesus of Nazareth which once again argued uh, that Jesus was a preacher and miracle worker who taught about the kingdom of God. And it's only later on the disciples came and started calling him the Son of God. This book was number one on, on the New York Times bestseller list for a while, just last year, 2013. And of course, there are academic debates about this as well. Um, but it's not just these debates about in the books and the academia. These are things that we hear every day. Many religions deny Jesus is the Christ, God made flesh. Islam denies that Jesus was God. Jewish people don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Jehovah's Witnesses deny the full divinity of Christ, and the Unitarians as well. Mormons believe in Jesus, but they also believe that Jesus came to America, among many other things. So here is the test. As you hear these things, what do people say? What do they teach about Jesus? That's the first question we should be asking. What do they say about Jesus? And is it the same as what the apostles taught? What the early church taught? What the scripture teaches? This isn't just a, uh, an intellectual battle that is going on. It is a spiritual battle. This is why John says, do not uh, do, uh, test every spirit, he says. And he gives us some confidence, doesn't he? Because John was there. This is what he taught from the very beginning. His life was literally touched by Jesus. He had seen Jesus. Not just him, but all of the disciples. Their lives were completely transformed because of this man, Jesus. And if you turn back to the beginning of our um, letter, first, uh, first John, he writes in the very beginning, this is how he starts. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have, we, we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. What he's saying, really, is they can teach whatever they want, but this is what was taught from the very beginning. This is what I have seen and touched. This is not just me, but the other disciples have seen and touched. There is confidence there. This is what Christians have taught from the very beginning. He spent his life telling others about Jesus, tested against John and John's words and John's life, tested against John's... um, uh, uh, Jesus' other followers who died proclaiming that Jesus was the Son of God, tested against the Holy Spirit who testifies in us that he is the Son of God. 
And anyone who teaches otherwise is anti-Christ, against Christ. So don't, don't believe every spirit, but test to see whether they are from God. See what they believe about Jesus. And be confident that this is what has been taught from the beginning. And the second test, finally, test whether this is against Christ or for Christ. As whether, whether their thinking is rooted in the world or in the scripture. In this paragraph that starts in verse 4, John puts a very stark dividing line between Christians and the world. It's in the strongest term. This is really us versus them language. He starts verse 4. You, dear children, are from God. They, verse 5, are from the world. We, verse 6, are from God, he says. In fact, we are people, he says, who have overcome the world because the one who is in us is greater than the one who is in the world. And John isn't talking about some moral thing here, but he is talking about intellectual things. False teachers have been teaching, but we have not been overcome by their teaching. They have not succeeded. And John says the main reason, main evidence that we have not, uh, they have not succeeded um, is that we, the Christians, listen to him, listen to the apostles and not to the world. So he writes in verse 6, we, the apostles, are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize, recognize the spirit of truth and the fal- spirit of falsehood. Now, if, of course, if I said such a thing, that would be the height of arrogance. Um, if I said, this is how we recognize the spirit of truth and falsehood, whoever listens to he who is from God. But I shouldn't be able to say that. Nobody should be able to say that here. But Apostle John did say that, and the Apostle did say these things. And God, remember, God told the disciples at the transfiguration, this is my son, listen to him. Jesus himself said his sheep will recognize his voice and listen to him in John 10. And Jesus says in John uh, 13 that he will send the Spirit to the apostles and remind them of everything that Christ had taught them. And these apostles were then designated with special responsibility of being first and primary witnesses of Christ and his teaching. So John writes with authority when he writes this letter. He's, he knows that he's not just writing a letter, that he is writing scripture. The Christ followers will recognize the voice of Christ, the chief shepherd, in his teaching. We are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, John says. His teaching is authoritative. Apostle Paul did the same in his teaching. He wrote to, uh, to Thessalonians, We also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. He says, when I taught, you received it as it is. Not, just, not, not, not human word, but as it actually is, the word of God. He knew that his words weren't just his words, but word of God spoken through him because God had in, Christ has entrusted these apostles with the responsibility of bearing witness to him. Apostle Peter, 
knew that about himself. And, and he actually confirms that Paul's writing as authoritative. And he calls it scripture in 1 Peter 3.16. The apostles had Christ's authority. We don't have the apostles with us, but we do have their writing. And they are inspired scripture for us. And this is different from gift of prophecy, as we say um, these days, because apostles were set apart for this role. All the church's authority need to be derived from the scripture's authority. The early church recognized this as well. The very early church, the second generation, did not quote, um, started quoting from the apostles' teachings. They did not teach from their own authority. That nobody said, this is what I teach now. They started quoting the early church from the very beginning, uh, the apostles from the very beginning. And we must do the same. Do we listen to the apostles' teaching? Or do we listen to the world? Let me finish uh, with how we began uh, with that challenge to think. Because one of the reasons why I think we don't feel the contrast between the world and us is because we actually haven't learned to think biblically about most things, most issues. For example, I think it really is in the last 15, 20 years when the evangelicals started thinking about workplace. What does it mean for Christians to be in the workplace? And it really is recent thing when we have started engaging with the idea that we are God's stewards, taking care of the creation. What does it mean for us as Christians to take care of the world? We're just getting to it. We're starting still working out, thinking biblically about crime and punishment and um, education, debt and complexities of living in capitalist uh, world, the role of entertainment and the internet and Facebook and all the things that are coming up. Uh, last couple of days, Desiring uh, God website featured this uh, question about uh, Game of Thrones, whether we should be watching Game of Thrones. Do we ask these questions as we live our lives? What kind of TV show should we be watching? Should we be watching it? What kind of t- uh, 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 books should we read? Should we go to these sorts of places? Have we thought about these life issues? Are these the questions that we are asking each other? Are we going together to the scripture and asking, what does the scripture teach about these things? Because if we don't, if we are not thinking in this way, if we're not doing these, we are listening to the world, aren't we? That's the default position. The world will shape our minds unless we take the time to think about these issues. And as Os Guinness said in that um, uh, a book, uh, fit, minds and fat, fat, uh, fit, fit Bodies and Fat Minds, we need to start by repenting of our failure to think thought captive for, uh, for Christ. So let's just end with that reminder once again that we are Christians. Test every spirit. Think like Christians. For there are too many false prophets out there. Ask what do they say about Jesus? How does this affect my relationship with Jesus? Ask, is this from the world or is this from the scripture? Don't be naive. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your son, Jesus, and how he has come as our king, how he claims every part of the world as his. And Lord, we confess that in many areas of our life, we have not thought 
uh, things through. We have not thought things, uh, thought about how Christ should change our life in all areas of our life. We thank you for the apostles. We thank you for the scripture that reveals your will for us. We thank you for the Holy Spirit who helps us to read and think and help us to develop as a church Christian minds that we may be able to live all of our lives rightly for you. For your namesake. Amen.